frozen like a flood. There are no answers to be found. There is a place where we are safe and sound. He is our anchor. He will not be moved. He is a shelter in the rain. A mighty tower where every heart is safe. Even when the Carpenter's Way. Hope everybody's doing okay this morning. We have a treat this morning. We have uh, some baptisms, so if you'll turn your attention over here. Well, good morning. Y'all, I'm so excited. Well, excited just doesn't do it justice. What the Lord has been doing in Carpenter's Way over this last year with adults and students and children. And today we actually have three children that have chosen to ask Christ into their life to change them, to make them new. And they're wanting to be baptized today just to say, hey, I'm a Christian now. They understand that baptism is not what saves them from their sins. It's what you do with Jesus that saves you from your sins. And they've chosen to accept his free gift. 
So if you were here and you've not accepted the free gift of eternal life that Christ offers to all, please consider that today. Find me. I would love to tell you more about how to do that. Um, or Pastor Mark, or Jeff, or Chad, or Adam. We would love to share more about our Jesus with you. Um, so we have three children being baptized today. Our first friend is Savannah Walker, and she is going into second grade here in Lufkin. And so she's going to tell you more about her story, about how she came to know Christ. And her father, Jonathan, will baptize her. And proud mom is Casey, and she has three proud big sisters and one proud brother. Okay, you want to tell your story? You want me to tell it? Okay. So this has actually been going on for several years now. We kind of knew that uh, as far as Savannah being the youngest of the family, she does a lot of watching and listening and stuff like that. So she's seeing the other kids as far as what they've done and decisions they've made and other people around her. And, of course, our awesome uh, children's ministry has helped out as well. So we just kind of heard her talking throughout the years. And we knew that she was ready and she was kind of getting there, but it just wasn't our place. So this past, uh, what was the Sunday, the... Yeah, camp his way. Um, she was out there, and uh, one of our friends, uh, Amanda Hiller, was out there watching her and talking to her, and just kind of saw her in the corner, and just kind of something told her to go talk to Savannah. And so she went and talked to Savannah, and Savannah said she was ready to ask Christ in her heart. Amen. So. Awesome. Did, I, did I miss anything? Okay. <laughs> okay, you ready? Okay, let's go ahead and turn. Okay, Savannah, so uh, because you're for your profession of faith, I'm going to baptize you now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Okay. Savannah's grandfather is going to be praying for her. Let us pray. <clears throat> the Lord, we come to you in your house <clears throat> for this glorious time that our granddaughter has asked Jesus Christ to come in her life. Just be with her family, <clears throat> be with her grandparents as they, as they uh, surround her with with love, be with the, her church as they surround her with love. And as she matures in life, that she will know the meaning. <clears throat> that God is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Our second friend that, I, you know, I call my children my friends. They're my little friends. Our second friend that's going to be baptized today is Katie Beth Willis. She is the uh, youngest child of Amy and David Willis. David is going to be baptizing her today, and Aunt Cindy is going to get to pray for her. We'll give them just a moment. Katie Beth, y'all, she is amazing. She's going into sixth grade here in Lufkin. She has proud big brother, AJ, who's also at middle school here in Lufkin. 
All right, so I'm David Willis. This is Katie Beth Willis. And um, we, wrote out, we wrote out her story, which I'm going to read for you. Um, two or three years ago, I accepted Christ into my heart during Team Kids, but I never told anyone. I thought they would think it was silly. But I want to be baptized because I'm starting to understand that it isn't crazy, and I want people to know. Um, and so, that's right. I love, I love what Alicia said, that this isn't, this isn't what, what saves them or makes them clean any more than swimming does. Um, and the same way that, that a wedding ring doesn't make you married, it's the vows you exchange you know, before Christ that make you married to someone. It's, the, it's what's happened in your heart that makes you married, or to, well, married to Christ. Um, and so it's, it's that that, um, that makes you a Christian, and this is now, though, so everyone can see and know. So, all right. Have you asked Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. Because of your public confession, I'm going to baptize you. Grab my hand. With the other hand, too. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bend your knees. Dear Jesus, we just uh, thank you that um, Katie Beth has accepted your gift and you have uh, taken her to be your daughter. And I just pray that uh, throughout her whole life that this day in her public profession and baptism would just be a stake in the ground that she can look back on as um, just a confirmation and affirmation of her journey with you. I pray for us as her biological family and her larger church family that we will encourage her and that she would encourage us, Lord, in um, our pursuit of you and that we would um, be mutually encouraged and spurred on towards love and good deeds. We thank you, Jesus, and it is in your name that we can come and we pray. Amen. Well, our third friend to be baptized is the handsome young gentleman, Knox Pavlik. So Knox, we'll give them a second, I know, uh, is going into fourth grade in Dawal, and he is the oldest child of Clayton and Tyler and proud big brother of Gavin and little Miss Finley. So he is, um, and he's going to share his story too. Well, actually, Mom, where's Mom? Them, Okay. They're going to get to share about how he, his story, about how he came to know Christ as a Savior. A couple, couple weeks ago, Knox uh, told me that he wanted to get baptized. And he had had a few friends in the past get baptized. And I was like, it's not just because some of your friends have gotten baptized. He's like, no, we were kept his way. And on the last day, I'd ask Jesus to come to my heart. So what does that mean to you? That Jesus will clean my heart and my sin is forgiven. All right. After your profession of faith, as a brother in Christ, put your hand. Nope, yep. <laughs> I, now, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come on, Granddad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you that you made a way through Jesus that we can all come to you and spend eternity with you. Lord, I thank you for Knox's salvation. 
I thank you that you have drawn him to yourself. I pray, Lord, that uh, from this day forward, from the, actually from the day of his salvation, that he would walk with you humbly, that he would uh, do justly, that he would be merciful, and he would love his neighbor as himself. Lord, I thank you for uh, the, the love and, and ministry that Clayton and Tyler pour out on him. Please continue to equip them, <clears throat> along with the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, to continue mentoring him and living out our faith to show him the way. Father, we thank you for Carpenter's Way and Alicia and her ministry because she is amazing and the volunteers are amazing. Lord, we pray for your blessings on all of us that we would be the people you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How cool is that? Right? Man, I know, um, I think we might have talked a little bit about this last week in the middle of worship of how, you know, as, as Christians who've been doing this a while, you kind of get jaded, or I don't know if that's the right word, we just kind of get into repetition, you know, just going through the motions. And I know this is a public confession for these guys of, of telling us that, hey, I, I've decided to follow Christ. But I think for us, I mean, for me anyway, it's, it's kind of this um, reminder too, you know, it's just this little reminder like, man, God is still doing stuff. You know, God is still saving people. He's still working in people's hearts, and, you know, it's so easy for us, like I said, to get in the motions, and, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years, 30 years, and like, yeah, I got this, whatever, but just seeing this, I hope this uh, just kind of stirs your heart a little bit, and just kind of reminds you of just God's grace, His mercy, uh, that none of us deserve what we've got. None of us have deserved anything, but yet He calls us, in. and it's just so amazing, so amazing. So if you want to stand, you can worship with us. You don't have to, but you are more than welcome to. shelter in you my God and there you give me rest you are my refuge and my safe place my strength is in your name and though I stumble you won't let me
Everlasting, amazed in the praise of Jesus the Nazareth. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. Sing that again. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean, Thank you. 
If you're not already standing and you'd like to, we're going to read scripture together. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Don't know why you love me, but you do. Why you forgive me for the things that I do. The foolish mistakes I make when I take my eyes off of you. I don't know why you love me. But you do and I don't know why you carry All my shame Or why you would freely come And die in my place Or why you would walk my path Or why you would even look my way I don't know why you carry all my shame You loved me before I knew you And you forgive me when I cry to you And so I thank you I lay my life before you, God I don't know why you love me But you do And you gave your life You gave your life so I could live and so this life I freely give yes, you gave your life so I could live and so this life I freely give you gave your life so
don't know why you love me, but you do. Why you forgive me for the things that I do. Yeah, we stand amazed. As we just sang, we stand amazed. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. That this grace that you freely pour out on us, this adoption that you bring us into your family. God, though we stumble, God, you never let us fall because you're so faithful. You're so faithful, God. Even when we are faithless, God, you are faithful. We just thank you. Praise you. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning. Peace that endures. 
be seated. Kids up through third grade, you are dismissed for your little church. We continue to disciple our children, three more. One's going into our student ministry uh, next year. I mean, it is so exciting what God is doing. And and I, I hope you notice that these kids didn't just decide they need to be baptized, but in recent months, they've all come to know Jesus as their Savior. And, and what, a, what a blessing, what a privilege to be a part of watching all that. And uh, we need to continue to pray for Alicia and her team. They are active. And then Adam, as he takes them and his team, takes them from sixth grade on up through high school. And uh, I'm just so, I'm so blessed to be a part of a church. We have 20-some ad adults that are involved with our student ministry, junior high and high school. And uh, they do so many things that you can't even imagine. Not only do they disciple them spiritually, but yesterday, uh, several of them brought about 10 or 12 kids or something like that who are graduating from high school, going off to college, and they were teaching them in our kitchen how to cook for themselves. Um, I just think, I, I, you know, we're a family, and this is our living room, and I just, uh, I did not know they did that until Doug came in extra grumpy and tired this morning. And I just appreciate you guys so much who do that. And, and uh, you know, we all serve in different areas. And what a, what a privilege it is to do that. And we are so proud of you and your kids discipling them. Uh, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, you might be wondering why the dad's baptized. Uh, and the reason we do that is because if, if uh, the first line of spiritual defense is a, a father, a godly father, or a godly grandfather, and they pastor their homes. So if they walk with God, we encourage them to baptize their kids. And uh, so we are, we are proud of you men and your wives, and we pray that God blesses you. For those of you who are single parenting, we are here to help you single parent, and we're not leaving you out. It is a privilege uh, all of that. I do, before I jump into our text this morning, and we're going to be in Acts 24, I do want to do a couple uh, family notes uh, that you need to be aware of. Number one, if you're used to entering through E-Tech and came this morning, it was blocked off. I hope you found that before your car ran into that uh, concrete barrier, because that would be a bummer. Um, but what you probably didn't recognize when you were done thinking negative thoughts about the leadership of the parking lot um, is that if you, if you come up the frontage road, I want you to picture, you know, you have to come up this road to come in. 
If you come up the frontage road, you've got E-Tech right on the corner. If you keep coming, and you know the pharmacy building, the old pharmacy right out there? There's now a driveway on this side of it. So you're used to coming in this side. So the building, you're used to coming past the building and taking a right. You can still do that, but you can take a right right in front of that pharmacy building and it'll drop, uh, direct you into that parking lot. That makes it a little easier. Uh, also, we now have a direct exit and entrance as you go past a student room and that grassy knoll, which is a Texas phrase, but you take a left out there and you can go back to industrial drive and, and you can go out that way. So uh, it's been something we were able to do this last year and, and we want to make you aware of it. So uh, don't go in the E-Tech parking lot and especially don't go in too fast. Some of you found out, this, I'm just kidding, nobody ran into that, but there is a barrier there now and it will, it will make our parking lot safer and lots of different things. Okay, number two, uh, COVID is increasing and uh, this is where we are right now. Be smart. A lot of you have been vaccinated, uh, and some of you have chosen not to be vaccinated. Let me say something about that. The vaccination is not the mark of the beast. So if you want to argue that, we can wrestle on that, but it's not the mark of the beast. Yet, nonetheless, you have the right to choose to take it or not take it. So here's what I want to say. You need to take care of yourself. So if you haven't had the vaccine, or if you've had it, and you want to wear a mask, you can wear a mask. Folks, don't look at people weird. It doesn't make them liberal. It doesn't make those unmasked wearers conservative. It has, you just be smart, take care of your family. If you don't, if you want to wear a mask and you don't bring one in, they're always at the table. And uh, that's where we are right now. Um, but can we just please just love each other, respect each other, and if you want to wear a mask, feel free to wear a mask. Uh, nobody should be making fun of you. If they do, you tell me, and I'll make fun of them from the pulpit, okay? So, uh, but, but really, guys, this is so weird. It's so weird what's happened in our culture. Vaccination, not vaccination. How did that become right wing, left wing? How did it, I don't know. It's just, we should not be a part of that. Our kingdom is united on Jesus. So take care of your family. Be wise. If you're conservative and you want the vaccine, but you don't want to let the liberals get away from it, be smart and take the vaccine. If you don't want the vaccine because it's the mark of the beast, don't take it. We'll see you in heaven. But short, I'm kidding. Just relax, okay? We need to laugh about this. Uh, I don't, you know, maybe in coming months, I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to be smart, okay? Be smart. That's all I ask. So, um, yeah, that's all I want to, let's start now, let's get into a word of prayer, and let's jump into our text. Father, thank you uh, for the three kids that were baptized this morning. I thank you for their families that walk with you, and, and dads that wanted, that were excited to baptize. I thank you for the grandparents that wanted to come in and watch their kids uh, make a public profession of faith. This is, I'm going to follow God. That's what they're saying. And for us, Father, who, who gather regularly, whether it's in this room or online, um, Lord Jesus, May we focus and obsess over you. Help us to understand from this text what we need to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I thought one more thing. There's nothing wrong if you want to take some time. If it starts getting big around you, COVID, and, and you are um, sickly or concerned, you can watch online too. We're going to keep doing that, okay? So I really want everybody just to walk with God. I know. It's not as simple as that. It, it really is. It really is. So um, enough on that. So <clears throat> Paul... Uh, is being directed to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit, he says. And I'm going to bring you up to speed for those of you who haven't been with us. Uh, his friends, prophets, there are several prophets who have told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You go to Jerusalem, you're going to be chained up, you're going to be beaten, 
And his friends and his churches start pleading with him, don't go, because he's telling them. He does this tour, remember? He did a tour to say goodbye to his friends, especially the elders in Ephesus. And everybody's begging him, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. And he goes, because the Lord told him to. And he goes to Jerusalem, and exactly as his friends feared, and the prophets prophesied, false accusations are made, a riot ensues in Jerusalem, Paul is beaten by the Hebrew crowd, saved, his life is saved by a Roman centurion and his military force. He's taken then before the Jewish high council where another fight breaks out. And it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees who make up this, this group are grabbing his arms. They're pulling at him, one one side, one the other. And it says that the Roman centurion was so concerned that his body would be literally ripped apart. That he jumps in with his men and they take him captive and they bring him back into the fort in Jerusalem. It is an absolute mess. While he's sitting in the fort of Jerusalem, this is what happens. Acts 23 verse 11. It says that the Lord, that night, the Lord appeared to Paul and he said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. So I want to take note here, and this is, super, this is super important for us, family. I want you to grasp this. Paul's task in Jerusalem, and on his first and his second missionary journey, was not to convert, convert people. It was to be a witness to the truth. That is super important that we understand. When we say we need to witness to the world, too often what we really mean, how that registers in our brain, is i got to get people saved. God never once asked you to save people. His job is to save people, right? That's what he does. His Holy Spirit uh, calls people to himself, and they respond. Like these kids. I thought one of the testimonies this morning was, was very interesting. I think it, it, it may have been uh, David and Amy's little girl, but I think what she said, was it Katie Beth that said that she didn't tell anybody? I'm proud of you, Katie Beth, because you know what that tells me? This was very personal and very real, that you weren't, pay attention, she wasn't talked into it by her mom and dad. She was a little bit nervous to tell her mom and dad. That's not, and, and Katie Best's parents disciple her and her grandparents. This is, a, it's a wonderful thing. But for her to actually go, man, I don't know if I should tell anybody. That tells me that this was between her and God, right? And as the Lord, as she grew up in her faith, she told her parents and then she wanted to tell you. And so that's what she did this morning. But I, I think it's super important that we realize that no matter what you were trained in, whether it's EE or other versions of evangelism training, it was never our, our job to redeem people. That's the job of God. Just like in Katie Best's life. Her mom and dad wanted to see her saved and they witnessed to her and the camp did and all the other people and Alicia. But there's just a moment in time where she went, I need to be forgiven. And so she does it in the private place of her heart and she's saved. Because salvation isn't a church or religious event. It's a God event. And, and we, just a side note, and we'll get into this as we get into later. We have so grown up in the church that they're all kind of intermixed. The reason we gather is to be encouraged and spurred on, right? To keep going in the faith. We get saved at a personal level. You don't have to, you're not a member of a church to get saved. You join a church later to be encouraged, to be spurred on. Just like Katie Beth and the others decided after salvation, I want to make a stand. And they were nervous this morning. I mean, you, when you're in the baptism, all those of you who have been baptized, you can't see out because the lights are so bright. But that is scary. 
And so it's like, well, in fact, I would argue that some of you adults need to be baptized. And you don't because, I, you know, I don't want to get up in front of all those people. And every once in a while, somebody calls me and says, can we just do it in private? I'm like, well, you obviously missed the point of this. I mean, I'm not laughing at you. I know people get scared. But the truth is, it is a public profession of faith. We don't go to the baptismal pool with our, with our spouse. I mean, you can, but the point is to declare to the world, it's not as personal cleansing. It's a public statement. Just like David said. I, what David said was so good about the wedding ring. I, uh, I'm never going to let him preach because his examples are better than mine. But it's just, it's just a statement. It's saying, look, it's like wearing my wedding ring. A few years ago, uh, I had arthritis in my fingers and they got too fat. That, that's not why they got fat, but it's East Texas cooking. And I didn't have one. Somebody in the church said, why don't you wear a wedding ring? Because they wanted me to proclaim to you that I was married to Julie. That's a good thing. It didn't make me less married not to wear a wedding ring, but, but to wear a wedding ring lets all those women who think I'm super handsome. No, it's a declaration. And we want people to know that we are gods, right? But boy, it comes with a cost. And today's text is so good for our young baptized children and us. Um, Paul was called by God to witness in Jerusalem. And you can make the case, what a waste. He gets beaten. We don't know of anybody. It doesn't even say here that people got saved right there. He's just beaten and arrested and taken before the council who mocks him. Well, what would God do in that? The answer is, give those who hate God another opportunity to hear the gospel. God keeps begging people to come to himself, even if they don't. The point is that Paul's task at this moment was to witness. It's God's job to harvest. And we have to remember that. Because as we go through Paul's testimony today, too often we think, God, why would you give me cancer and make me spend time at MD Anderson? Or why would I, why isn't my spouse saved? Or why are my, whatever, whatever it is that frustrates you about life, whether it has something to do with your walk with God or just your physical situation. Why have you got me working for a boss that I hate? And the answer is because that's your mission field. Well, nobody's responding to the gospel, nor would they. I mean, this guy is the devil incarnate. The truth is, it's not your call. It's your mission field. And the question isn't whether I'm enjoying my experience. The question is, am I, am I surrendered? The, the, the song that Chad wrote and he sang this morning that you're learning, and by the way, I, I kept leaning over to Anna this morning going, man, you got, they're singing so well. It really blesses me to hear you sing. But the song he sang has a line, and I'm going to kill it because I don't remember exactly. But it's something like, because of what you've done for me, I give you all of me. Something to that effect. And the point is, that is why we surrender. Not because we're going to save the world, but because he's worth it. We trust him. He's worth me giving myself to him because he's earned it and he asked it of me. Paul, in a jail in Jerusalem, bleeding, leaning against the wall, could have gone, what was the point of all this? We could, you could have just sent me to Rome and surely there's a billion different ways God could have sent him to Rome, but he wanted to go by way of Roman guards in Jerusalem. Well, that's not fair. That's not our call. You see, when you're baptized... When you give your life to Christ, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you're basically saying, not only is sin my problem and you're the only one who can save me, but also you're the only one who understands the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And I trust you. I trust you with everything. Right up until I don't understand everything. And then I start getting frustrated. 
But you have an example in Paul of a guy who's just going, whatever. So he's in Jerusalem jail, and God meets with him and says, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you've been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must also preach the good news in Rome as well. And too often I've read that and went, Oh, so Paul knows he's not going to die. He's going to end up in Rome. And while that's true, I don't think Paul was sitting there going, Am I going to die today? I think he's going, What next, God? What next? What do you want for me to do next? I'm kind of hurting. Could you give me a few weeks to heal? But what next? And, and we read it because we're always thinking about our, ourselves and our comfort. But God wasn't, he wasn't comforting Paul because it actually gets weirder in Rome as we're going to look at this morning. He's sitting there bleeding and arrested for something he's innocent of. But this message to Paul is, have courage, hang in there, because what's going to happen? I'm not going to end you here. I'm going to allow you to continue. You're going to have to go to Rome. And Paul might have gone, yes, I'm going to Rome. But I think he's going, what's Rome going to look like? But not my will, yours be done, Lord. Sound like a familiar prayer? So we pick this up in chapter 24. Or I'm going I'm to jump back uh, to 23.33, where Paul actually arrives in Rome. When they arrive in Rome, in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to the governor, Felix. So what ends up happening is the, uh, the garrison leader, the head of the military there, writes a letter to the governor of the region explaining why Paul is being sent to them and what he's done wrong and what the accusations are. So they put Paul on a horse with 400 and I think it's 450 protective forces that take him there and he ends up in Rome. And when he gets there, that's what happens. When they end up in Rome or Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it, and then he asked Paul what province he was from. Sicilia, Paul answered. I'll hear your case myself when your accusers arrive. You're going to find out why he wanted to hear the case himself in just a moment. The, the, uh, the governor told him that he would hear his case himself when his accusers arrived. Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Chapter 24. Five days later, so he's there a week, Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived with some of the Jewish elders and a lawyer Tertullus to present their case against Rome to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. So many of you are fully aware that our American uh, judicial system, the Western judicial system, is based upon Rome. Rome said laws are what guides us. So you see a lot of similarities. So you have a Hebrew uh, group of people who want Paul killed but they present with a Gentile Roman lawyer. So it's a court case is what you have here, but the governor's going to make the decision. So here's the case. You have provided a long period of peace for us Jews, and with foresight have enacted reforms for us. For all of this, Your Excellency, we are very grateful to you, but I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. We have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of a cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth from our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything he said was true. So let me pause for a moment. That's his full case. That's opening arguments. There's no other case. In a moment, Paul's going to be able to defend himself. But that's their case. Uh, it is basically a case without evidence. He doesn't present any. He just says, you can figure out all the details yourself. But this is what we're charging him with. The governor motioned then for Paul to speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. Do you notice how everybody's sucking up to this guy? 
Even Paul does it. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship in the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I do admit that I follow the way. So now we have two names. You ever wonder what we were called before Christians? Okay, before we were called Christians, or little Christ is a mocking term, we were called followers of the way, and I told you a few weeks ago why. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So he, he preached himself, I'm the only way to the Father. You want a right relationship with God, you're going to have to come through me. I'm the gate. So the message of the gospel was always through Jesus alone. Jesus alone. So they called them people of the way. They didn't mind that term. The other, the other term that he is accused of, the derogatory one, was the Nazarenes. These are people from a cult in the Nazareth. And you know why. Jesus was from Nazareth. So they did that. So now you have two, two names for us. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. I actually worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will rise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I've always tried to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. By the way, let's pause. That's absolute truth. If you remember, what they accuse him of is bringing a Gentile in, and it says in the previous chapter that they didn't know that he had. They just assumed that he had. He hadn't even brought that guy in. He is in the Jew. He is in the Hebrew temple area worshiping. Please understand that Paul never, Jesus never abandoned Judaism. They just believed that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the prophet Daniel. That he was the son of, he was the son of God. That he was the one coming to fulfill and redeem. So when you have Paul, when you have uh, the other Christians, what they're saying is, look, we're not against this. We just believe it's been fulfilled. And it is very, very interesting to listen to modern Jews who still believe, the religious ones, who still believe that the Messiah is going to come. And as a follower of Jesus, you kind of want to go, well, he's already come. And if you listen to them, they'll say everything that Jesus did. He's going to heal. He's going to make the lame walk. He's going to come into Jerusalem and offer peace. He's going to stand up for it. I mean, it's, it's incredible what they say today because you can go did you have you not ever read this but because of their tradition they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus because human approval last week's message is always more important to a religious person don't be religious what the church thinks of you what Christians think of you what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses think of you is irrelevant the only thing that matters is what God thinks of you you run to God Run to God, and out of that will grow a healthy body of believers, a family of people that spur each other on. So he's making his case. In verse, I go back to verse 18. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ceremony. There were no crowd around me, no rioting. But some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. So the people who accuse them of stuff isn't even there. Ask these men here what crime the Jewish high council has found me guilty of. Except for the one, that one time I shouted out, I'm on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection from the dead. Oh, he's a troublemaker. If you remember last week's message or text, remember that that's how he splits the council because the Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Sanhedrin, uh, do, or the Sadducees do not. And so he splits them, and here he does it again. The only thing, the only riot I've caused is saying that I believe in the resurrection. They riot in themselves. Verse 21. 
Uh, well, let me jump to 22. At that point, so he says, I, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That, that was the riot cause. Verse 22. At that point, Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, you're about to find out why he wanted to oversee this court case who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I'll decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. Wow, house arrest. Not as bad as it's been. A few days later, Felix came back with his, with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul... They listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. By the way, I really, really, really want you to start thinking in Greek in some ways. When you hear the name Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, it is actually should be Jesus the Christ. We have a tendency to sort of think, even though you know better, if I asked you, is Christ Jesus' last name? You'd say no. But we put them together so much that we think Christ is Jesus' last name. That's not true. Jesus' last name was from Nazareth, son of Joseph. That was his last name. That's how they identified people. If that wasn't enough, if there were other Yeshua's from Nazareth, sons of Joseph, then they talk about what he did. You know, the carpenter. That's last names in old scriptural times. Jesus the Christ in English would be Yeshua the Messiah. So what they're doing is identifying. When he meets with Paul and his wife Drusilla, who sounds like a character from a Disney cartoon, that was funnier than that. You should have laughed. But when he meets with them, they want to hear about faith in Christ because she believes in all things Hebrew. She's a Jew, and he has a message about the Messiah. Now do you know why God called Paul to Rome? Because he loved Drusilla. He loved Felix. At this point, we don't know if he responds to the gospel, but he knows that a week later, and by the way, who's in charge of the garrison commander's comings and goings? You're right, the governor, right? Keep going. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Stand, sending for Paul, they listened as he told him about faith in the Messiah, Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment, okay, pause, why would Paul spend time talking about self-control and the day of judgment and righteousness? Because all of those things in the new covenant are different than the old covenant. Because she would ask questions like, Paul, uh, if you don't keep the Ten Commandments, you keep preaching that, that, that it shows that we're sinful. But if I am not worthy by the Ten Commandments, aren't I going to hell? No, no, no. You get the Holy Spirit. So I can sin all I want and still be saved? Well, the truth is when the Holy Spirit comes in, He gives you self-control. We call that a what? Ah, fail, pastor. Fruit of the Spirit. We're going to go to Galatians next just because you don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit. So when he says what they talked about, Paul talks just like we do today. He's talking about the same things. So I, I can be saved while not being good enough by the law? Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit can come in. Jesus' blood cleanses you from all sin. You are imputed, declared righteous by the judge himself. Well, so... I can actually break the law? Well, if the Holy Spirit comes in, the fruit of His Spirit is self-control and patience and 
We'll talk about that in Galatians. And therefore, it's not just magic words that are said. It's a transformation of your life from the inside out. And that's what he described in this text. He reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. In case you're wondering, that's a good thing. Because Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what I get out of that is it affected them. The Holy Spirit's taking Felix and freaking him out. And you're going to hear Felix later in chapters. And we're only three weeks left in Acts. Then we're going to go to Galatians, uh, reaffirm this morning. But it's, it's really, really important you understand that Felix is affected by this. So what does he do? Go away for now. He replied, when it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. Verse 26. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him. So he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Any questions as to why God sends Paul to Rome? Because he loves Felix and his wife, the Disney character. He loves them. And he loves the guards there. Why, well, why did God send him to Jerusalem to be beaten? Because he loves the high council of all things Jewish. Well, they didn't respond. That's not the point. We just finished Revelation on Wednesday night, and one of the things that stuck out to me is throughout the whole book, and we basically read through it, making a few comments, but trying to understand simplicity, what it teaches. But even under the end, even to the very last day, when God think, makes all things new, right before that, he casts everything into hell. And before that, one more time, he says, all who are thirsty, come. All who are, all who are hurting, come. He pleads with people, even when they don't respond, to come to him. That's our God. He never gives up. Never stops inviting. And that's our call. It is not our job to save anybody. It is our job to witness to the truth. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. By grace alone. In God alone. You're right. Going to church won't, won't make you right with God but going directly to God will. And that's what he's proclaiming here. Verse 27, after two years, so I've been working up to that. So basically, the governor who's in charge of the movement of the garrison commander in Jerusalem Fort, who he says, I'm not going to rule on this until I hear from him, keeps him there for two years. He never calls him back. So Paul is in prison for two years, uh, in house arrest, in Rome, so it went by two years in this way. Felix was succeeded at that point by Procurius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the, new, uh, uh, with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. All right. Pause. Pause. Time out. We need a time out for a second. I'm throwing a flag. I'm wearing a striped shirt this morning. So time out. If you want to know God as he is, You've got to look at how he acts. This is super important. You and I have been raised, most of us grew up in the church. You're Bible Belt people. Most of us have a struggle throwing out that Noah's Ark was not about little cute animals going into a boat. Most of you have a hard time casting away the idea, even though you know it to be true, that the story of Jonah is not about a man who wrestles with a big fish. Most of you know in your head 
Most of you know in your head that David defeating Goliath is not about five smooth stones. But we have a hard time learning about the character of God, and I want to point this out this morning. If you want to know God as he is, not often as he's presented, but as he really is, then you must admit that through scriptures, and especially in the book of Acts that we've been studying, it is fairly clear that God does in fact allow his kids to end up in some pretty rough situations for his own will. If you want to understand why God allows us to be in these situations that make us uncomfortable, then you have to, you have to look at these stories from a 30,000 foot view instead of obsessing over every detail. For instance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could clearly have been protected by God from the fiery furnace. But they were not. The Lord joined them in the furnace. Daniel was not saved from a lion's den. He was thrown in the lion's den. Noah and his family were saved in a big boat. But if you go back and read it for over a year in a big boat with a bunch of stinking animals and rebellious kids and grandkids, that ain't fun. And Paul, being imprisoned in Jerusalem and beaten and hated by the very people he used to serve with, and then thrown into a Roman prison? That's not fun. And somehow, some way, we've recreated God in the church today, in the evangelical church, to never want us to hurt. That is a lie. I'm sorry. I, someday it will be like that. That's what heaven's going to be like. There's no more death or pain or sorrow or problems with money. There'll be no more... There'll be no more problems. But for here, we are going to have trouble. A lot of trouble. And for those three young people that were baptized this morning, to tell them now that their life is going to be easy because they're followers of Jesus is nothing less than a lie. Because when you follow Jesus, you have now entered a war. A war for the truth. And Satan is pushing back almost as hard as God is pushing us forward. So the question is, why is Paul really there? He's in there because God wants him there for two reasons. Because from a human point of view, Paul could argue with God and ask for his church to pray for him that he should be released from prison because Felix doesn't really want to deal with this. And this new governor, Festus, he's just, there's nothing good going to come out of this. Just release him so he could be traveling again and ministering. We would all make the case that a guy in prison for nearly three years who is such an effective minister of the gospel is a waste of his talent, right? Let me try that again. Wouldn't we all argue from a human point of view that to watch a guy with such gifts set as Paul sitting in a jail cell only being able to be visited by his closest friends is a waste for three years of his short life? We would all have to agree with that. And you and I would sit here and go, I don't know, I don't know why he's there. What's the point? We need to pray that releases him. And our only prayer for him and our majority prayer for him would be that he would be released. But God wanted him in there. That's the thing we don't accept. Well, what about his permissive will? He doesn't want him there. It's just how things play out. Do you not understand the sovereignty of God? The truth is that every step, we set our paths, he sets our step, Proverbs says. In Psalms, it says that he delights in every detail of our lives. And even Jesus is the perfect example of having to go through something he didn't want to go through. Read his last night of arrest. 
He prays that the Father takes this cup of suffering from him. Jesus, the man, didn't want to go through it, but he ended with, not my will, yours be done. To which the Father said, good, this is my will. Hang on a cross. Be mocked. Be ridiculed. And I am so sorry, church, that somewhere along the line, and we do pick and choose our preachers, but we want to hear people that make us feel good about this life. And I'm here to tell you, this is not your best life. This is your worst life as a child of God. This is as bad as it gets. This is the closest thing to heaven where hell we'll ever experience. When we go to heaven, it's heaven. It's work here. And this was Paul's task. At the beginning of his ministry, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that Ananias came to him and says, and the Lord said, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to tell him how he must what for me? Suffer. You see, that's the problem with the Christian life. We want to have it good here and there. We want our fingers in the world and our fingers in the kingdom. And, and as a child of God, I'm simply telling you, well, forget what I have to say. Listen to Jesus talk uh, to the disciples in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, Remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so because of that, because I chose you to come out of the world, it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave isn't greater than his master. Since they persecuted me naturally, organically, it's, it's, you should realize this, they're going to persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. At the end of this long conversation where Jesus is basically telling the disciples, it's going to be rough here, you're going to have trouble, and some of you are going to be persecuted and even put to death. In verse 33 of chapter 16, he says, I have told you all these things, disciples, so that you can have peace. Oh, well, why is Jesus saying this? Because he wants us not to be surprised. He wants us to have peace in him. Here on earth, what, why do we need peace? Because here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Take heart. What's coming is going to resolve all of this. Family, I want you to grasp this. We are persecuted, or will be, or disrespected, because not because we are evangelicals, or Christians, or pro-life, or conservative, or whatever label is given. You are hated. The world will have trouble with you because you are a follower of Jesus. I stopped for a dramatic pause. The world is going to hate you and reject you not because you're not loving enough to a group's sin package. They're going to hate you because you're a follower of Jesus. And I don't take that word lightly. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are going to end up in the same mess he ended up with because you're following Jesus. The following of, follower of Jesus, which is the term that I'm, I'm trying to remember to use instead of Christian because that means nothing anymore. But follower of Jesus means there's Jesus, here am I, and I'm following him. It's not a noun. It's not a name. It's a thing. It's a thing you do. It's a style you live. And, and if I could pick on Mullet Larry, which, by the way, looks great. I'm growing my hair out again this month. For everybody, which is 92%... 98% of you who likes my hair shorter, tough beans. I haven't got a haircut plan for two months, but that's off the point. But like Larry says, you put your eyes on the back of the head of the rabbi and you don't take them off of him. The problem is you're going to end up in Galgotha because that's where he ended up. You're going to end up having stones thrown at you. We're, we're in a weird time. The world is changing. Our country is changing, right? 
But let me be clear. My opinion, this isn't as much a political change as it is a spiritual change. You're going to find, those of you who are conservative, that you don't even fit in the Republican Party anymore. Those of you that are Democrats, you're already struggling with some of the stuff and trying to find ways to stay, but the truth is, you don't belong to the Democrats or Republicans. You belong to Jesus. And that puts you in a whole different category. It puts you in a whole different kingdom. While I am going to vote, and I'm going to speak up for things that I believe, Mark Wilkie, is biblical truth, I have to get outside of the political fighting, and I have to find myself asking, what would God have me do? But just so you know, when you do that, you're not going to join any party, and they're both going to attack you. And I'm going to add that even the church will attack you, because the church doesn't follow Jesus for the most part. And you know it to be true. The church follows politics, the church follows feelings, the church follows morality, but for the most part, the evangelical church in this country is not following Jesus. They are following their flesh. How do I know that? Because even some in our church like to say, look, pastor, I know that, that what happened to people in the past may not have been right, but I just wish we could go back to the 30s and 40s and when everything was good. If we could just go back to Andy Griffith's time, to which my response is, that's because you're a white middle-class person. There's not a black person you'll ever meet that's going to go, I wish we could go back to Andy Griffith times. You remember that schools were still segregated. People, churches, were still having people sit in balconies or go down the street to another church because their skin color wasn't the same. You'll do better over there. That's racism! Well, we were just doing what we thought was right. I didn't say that that wasn't the case, but the truth is, while some of us want to go back, the truth is, back was only good for your demographic. If you were a Native American or an Indian in this country, back isn't that great. Back before we could have casinos, at least we could make a living. I mean, okay, I'm getting political. Relax. I'm not. I'm just being truthful. See, in the kingdom of God, there is no race. There's no color. There's, there's no men and women. It's children of God followers of Jesus. And see, the problem is, we have a, a society, and even a church now, that is going into little circles of vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. Mask wears, not mask wears. When Jesus is going, hello, you should be followers of me. Well, Jesus didn't have an opinion on vaccination and masks. Wrong question. Wrong question. If not being vaccinated keeps you from being a witness to the truth in this culture, you should be vaccinated. If wearing a mask alienates the very people you need to minister to, then wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't have to wear a mask. Then don't claim to be a follower of Jesus. The truth is that Paul is in prison not because he was a jerk or because he told off the Roman leadership. He's not even in jail for telling off the Jewish leadership. I remind you of last week's text where he gets slapped because the high priest ordered him to and before he realizes that was the high priest order, he looks at him and says, God's going to slap you. You will stop. He tells him off, and then somebody says, that's the high priest, and Paul backs off. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Jesus said that we should respect those in positions of authority, and he immediately apologizes. Paul's not in jail because he's a jerk. He's in jail because he's following Jesus. So my three friends that got baptized this morning, welcome to the war. Well, I'm not ready for the war, or the dads are, and moms are going, my kid's not ready for the war. It's your job to prepare them. Do not prepare them to be Republicans or conservative. Don't prepare them to be liberal or Democrats. You prepare them to be followers of Jesus, and it is different. And I promise you, church, that's all we're going to work on as a church. We'll have things about becoming a man of God. Clay and I have been talking about that. 
We have a women's Bible study. We have Bible studies. But 90% of what we do at Carpenter's Way is going to be from the Word of God about the Word of God. Because if you become a good man or a good woman and you do it without Jesus, you don't need Jesus and you're going to end up on the wrong side of the tracks. This is about Jesus redeeming us and the Holy Spirit coming in and transforming us. This is about us following Jesus. Not Americanism. Not any of the other stuff it's become. Not even becoming a good dad. This is about being a follower of Jesus. And all that other stuff is part of it. But we should never let that divide from the message of the gospel. So Paul's in prison. Jesus tells him, you're going to have trouble. And that's not the only place. He says, hey, followers of me, you're going to have trouble, but you, I, I told you this so that you'll have peace, so that when you have your many trials, take heart, I've overcome the world. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16, it says that God, I changed, he to God uses us, because it's, it's contextual. He, God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere, like a sweet perfume. We would all agree that the message of the gospel is sweet. Our lives are a Christ life fragrance or stink rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved than by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful stink of death and doom. That's why they hate you. That's why they will hate you. That's why you can't outlove their hate. Because to them you smell like accountability. Maria, that's what we were talking about. That's the problem. All of you, if you stand up and walk with Jesus, the problem is people are going to hate you and you're going to go, I don't know why they hate me. I had to learn that as a pastor. Why does this person not like me? I'm very nice. And I realized that what they didn't like wasn't me. It was God in me. They don't like accountability. They don't like the truth. And I smell like death. To those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving smell. They're drawn to us. It seems to me that Christians today are genuinely shocked that we and our message are not adored or admired when the core message of the gospel is to agree that we're sinful and to, and to our very core, we need to be saved from that sinfulness. It shocks me that we think Hollywood is going to love that message. You realize Hollywood lives for doing what they want to do, right? Jesus' call is to give up what you want. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, his desires, his wishes, and pick up his cross and follow me. How's that for a sellable message? It is only those that God is calling that are even drawn. The rest of the world goes, oh, you're just old school, or whatever they want to say. In a time when everyone wants their sin to be understood and even accepted to be, sa uh, to be saved, we must agree that we are wrong and God is right about sin. And that offends people who want the right to sin. Do you understand that? Let me try that again. I messed it up. In a time when everyone wants their chosen sin to be understood and accepted in this world, to be saved, we must agree that we are wrong and God is right about sin and our flesh. And the truth is, unless you want a right relationship with God, not just not go to hell, unless you want a right relationship with God, that is offensive in itself. Because you have to deny yourself. We just read what Jesus said about trouble because of whose we are and what we are. We just read what Paul said, and now I want you to listen to what Peter says about the trouble we'll have in this life. And this is written while Nero was ruling, evil Nero. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager for doing good? But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. 
Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord in your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see the good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants. Ew, I don't like that line. Can we just admit it? It is better to suffer for doing good, like Paul, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Because my time is short, there are three things that I want to I point out from this. Uh, this text, and I'm just going to hit them for you real quick. Number one, in, in 1 Peter 3.14, it tells us that if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. Now, we think that means an extra bike in heaven, but that's actually not what the Greek means here. It's really fascinating, and I'm going to have a hard time explaining it, so stick with me. It actually could have been written, you are already being rewarded. You see, what he's talking about here is the reward of being in a right relationship with God, the reward of being with Jesus, following Jesus, is to share in his sufferings. While you and I look at those troubles and sufferings and go, ooh, God, protect me from it. God goes, protect you from it. That's part of the privilege of being on my kingdom. You see, one of the great joys, one of the great honors, one of the great things of being in the family of God is I don't have to worry about America. I don't have to worry about the Republican Party. I don't have to worry about the Democrat Party. I don't have to worry about any of the stuff that's going around me in this culture right now as it swims out of control. Because my king, my kingdom, my, my focus is on Jesus. Well, they hate you for it because you haven't picked a side. They're going to call you a Christian rhino. Well, that's what they would have called Jesus. That is what they called Jesus. Actually, they called him a friend of sinners because he wouldn't stand with the Jews not talking to a sinful person. He spent time with a woman at the well who was married five times and living with a man who wasn't her husband. He touched lepers when they were told that that was the result of sin. He ministered to people at wells that were full of filth and that made him ceremonial and clean, and they hated him for it. Why? Because his kingdom wasn't of the world. He wasn't worried about a Jewish nation. He was worried about the work of God in the world. And it's going to happen to us. You see, the truth is, as they mock us, we have to change the way we think. They mock us because we're different. We're not like them anymore. We've been transformed into a new way of thinking. And yeah, it's not like getting a cookie from God, but it is the reward of being part of his team, family, work. Paul beaten and in prison was just part of his calling. Was it uncomfortable? Yes, but what a privilege. How much worse would it have been for him to be rich on the council and end up in hell? This is our calling, family. What a privilege. I don't look forward to difficulty any more than you do. I'm going to try to stay out of it as much as I can, but it will find me. It found Jesus. So part of the reward. The second thing he said in this first Peter text was, uh, was in verse 3, 14, the second half. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats, to which I said, yeah, thanks, Peter. What do you know about persecution? Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So let me put it in terms that maybe you understand. Um, this is, uh, Kevin, this is 1 Peter 3, 14b. I skipped that one. 
Don't worry or be afraid, which we all do. Instead, next verse, worship Christ as Lord of your life. When you start getting afraid because they're coming, double down on your surrender to the Lord. Just double down. I'm afraid. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to end up in a Jerusalem cell and then a Roman cell. They're going to kill me, Lord. But you're Lord. So be it. That's what Peter's saying. And he was under Nero. Double down on lordship. Double down on surrender. So this, this whole message this morning is, so what do we do while we're thrown in prison or trouble or difficulty or declared cancerous or whatever? Whatever, what do we do? Number one, we remember that this is part of trusting in the Lord. The reward is trusting in him. The reward is persecution. It's sharing in, in his experience. Second of all, it is doubling down when you're most afraid. Double down on Jesus. Double down on Jesus. Don't double down on the church. Don't double down on morality. Double down on Jesus. Declare him Lord, your Lord. Some of you have just recently been diagnosed with the scary forms of cancer, with things that, that may at some point take your life if things don't go well with your treatment. And I'm here to tell you that yes, it's scary. And Paul says, don't be scary, and you, or Peter, and you kind of go, right, Peter, thanks, I'll talk to you in heaven about that. But instead of living, sitting in a circle going, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid, maybe some of you are afraid of coronavirus. Maybe some of you are afraid of, of the government. Instead of living in fear, double down on lordship, but I will trust you. I will trust you even though I'm afraid. I will trust you. We need to as a church, Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, Carpenter's Way Church, my prayer for us is we will double down on Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the only one that can save you, but I want Christians, I want you to know, Jesus is the only one that can save you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm here to tell you he's the only one that can save you. If you know Jesus this morning and you've been walking with him for 30 years, I'm here to tell you Jesus is the only one that can save you. And I don't mean in this life. We put our hope in him because he's earned it. We've got to move away from religious commitment to a God commitment. And they're going to hate us for it. No, they won't. Yes, they will. Because they hated him for it. Who put him on the cross? the right-wing religious people of his day. So, Pastor Mark, are you saying we should just let our country go to hell in a handbasket? Uh, I'd like to say that our country is going to hell in a handbasket already. I'm not sure that the handbasket was all that great before. I do understand the blessing of this country. I am not all, whatever. Don't, I, I, I did it again. I don't want to get political. I am here to tell you that our kingdom is getting better. It is nearer than it's ever been. It is closer, and we are going to enjoy it. So let's go out truth-speaking. Committed to Jesus Christ, even if we end up in a Roman jail. Third thing I wanted to share with you out of uh, 1 Peter 3 is the end of this text, and, and I'm out of time, so I'm going to close in prayer in a minute. But that is, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that it was within you. Because as you sit in your prison sales, as you sit in your chemotherapies, as you sit there and they're trying to fix your heart, and, you, and, 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 and the doctor comes in with a tear in his eyes, because most of the time they do. Very emotional. And they say, hospice. If you say, so be it God, they will ask you how you got your courage. And guess what? You get to witness wouldn't the last thing you did leading a doctor to Christ or a nurse to Christ or wouldn't that be a wonderful way to go out? 
And by the way, it's not going out. It's, the, it's not even the end. It's the end of the beginning. We're going to be there for a billion years, right? This isn't the real deal. That's the real deal. This is the short term. This is the preface of the book. That's the story. We just have to change the way we think. All of our prayers are about sustaining us now. And God's going, this is the most difficult thing you'll ever do. But you trust me because what comes next is going to blow your mind. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what I have got planned for you. So stand tall, family. Stand tall. And I, I want to say one thing to those of you who do not know Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you are, if you like Carpenter's Way and you're drawn to his people, if you've got a friend that's a Christian and that's why you're searching, I just want to be clear that what you are experiencing is not a nice person. There's plenty of nice people in all groups. What you are experiencing is the drawing of the Holy Spirit. That's what you're experiencing. Just like we talked this morning about the smell of death to those who are rejecting God, we are also, the Holy Spirit in us is the smell of life to those that are being called. Give up your fight. Accept his offer to forgive your sin and join the family of God. And you too could stink. Thank you, Julie. Julie never laughs at my jokes, so I'm going to close in prayer because she did just now. And I'm going I'm to look this way when I pray. Hey, I love you. I am honored to go through life. Thank you for letting me teach God's word. I know it isn't always easy, but I will walk with you until the Lord takes me home. I will walk with you. Let's walk together. Let's follow him. Don't follow the church. Don't follow whatever, morality. Don't follow the Republican or Democrat party. Follow Jesus. And you'll find trouble and joy. You'll find eternal life that starts now. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us and not giving up on us. We are so silly and so selfish. Lord Jesus, please, may we be faithful to our calling, and then when our calling is up, go home and enjoy you forever. Thank you for the example of Paul here, who was willing to endure and continue witnessing, and we can see sometimes what you were doing through him with, with Felix. Well, I don't have any idea what happened in Jerusalem except ye witness to the truth. And so whether or not people respond to the gospel, that's really not up to us. That's up to you. But whether they hear the gospel, that, that's part of our thing. We want them to know that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Jesus on the cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sin, and that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We love you. Thank you for not giving up on us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.